Hey up, how's it going? It's Matt, you're listening to episode 68 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's a show where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours, as usual. Big thanks for listening to it. Hope you enjoy it. And if you're a regular listener, then uh, yeah, thanks for bearing with me, actually. It's been a bit sparse, hasn't it, last few weeks? Basically, I've had a super hectic start to 2019 on a number of fronts. As you'll no doubt have noticed if you follow me on Instagram, I'm at We Look Sideways. if you fancy a bit of that. Uh, yeah, I've been all over the place, really. I've been to Cornwall a couple of times, been to Austria twice, I've been to Germany. I also hosted and compared a live interview with Donna Carpenter and Kelly Clark from Burton in Munich at the Burton store over there, which was a great experience. And an absolute shit ton of work, to be honest. Um, I'm going to chat about that in detail in Housekeeping Corner at the end of the interview. So stick around if you want to hear my thoughts on how that whole thing went. Anyway, all of which has meant a slight slowing of the pace when it comes to banging out podcasts. But I have been ticking a few off, including an interview with uh, Jeremy Jones, free ride, obviously, uh, and an interview with Olympic gold medalist Nicola Thos, Toast, I never know how you say it, but she's a legend and a lovely woman either way. And a conversation with Nicholas Vulcan, which is what you're about to listen to now. And uh, yeah, this one was a right pleasure for a couple of reasons, really. Firstly, I headed out to Innsbruck to meet and go riding with Nicholas in mid-January. And before we sat down for this chat, we spent the day on a super uh, enjoyable splitboarding mission off the back of Kutai, which was a great day out. And the perfect to prep for this chinwag. I also got to ride one of Nicholas's career boards too, which was uh, a proper treat. And then, yeah, we sat down for this really lovely, reflective conversation, as you're going to hear. Now, Nicholas was in Innsbruck to give a talk at the launch of Patagonia's European Warnwear Tour, as well as host the premiere of his new film, Close to Home. So he was pretty busy, but we carved out an hour and we got down to it. And I was thinking about it beforehand, and much as he's going to cringe to hear me say this, I think there's a case to say that Nicholas might well be one of the most quietly influential snowboarders of the last decade. Now, why do I think that? Because with his brand career shapes, as I've already mentioned, he's basically helped to bring the snow surfing movement, initially pioneered in Japan, to a global audience, helping to uh, shift the focus of the entire industry as he did so. Of course, I'm not saying career are solely responsible for this because clearly there have been other visionaries and outliers following similar paths over the last decade or so, and and even longer if you look back into it in the history of it in Japan. But they've certainly become synonymous with this beautifully inclusive snowboarding aesthetic, which prizes the simple joy of the turn above all else. And they've made the entire thing as accessible as possible through the range of outrageously fun snowboards and their addictive series of yearning for turning films. So of course, we chatted about all that. We chatted about how Nicholas and his mates have created such a massively influential brand an unlikely phenomenon he puts down to the right idea at the right time in typically modest fashion but I also learned that the entire story is a personal one for Nicholas representing a vision of snowboarding's possibilities arrived at only after many years of experience and thoughtful consideration now I found it really fascinating this listening to Nicholas's tale of how he struggled to find his place as a professional snowboarder I think the phrase he uses is struggling to fulfill this image I have of what I had of what a snowboarder was. I can very much empathize with that, to be honest. I've spent my life pretty much following professional snowboarders around. And if that doesn't make you question your snowboarding choices, then bloody hell, I don't know what will. 
Anyway, Nicholas was evidently searching for a definition of snowboarding that could satisfy himself, satisfy himself and enable him to continue his career as well. And in the end, it was a simple insight inspired by a trip to Japan that changed everything. How in the end, the simple turn could be enough. And it's telling that he uses the word relief to describe this epiphany. And in a way, the whole thing's a damning indictment really about how bad and insular most snowboarding marketing has been. Now, I harp on about this a lot on the podcast. I'm sure plenty of you have noticed that and are getting really bored of it. But for years, snowboard marketing basically just was directly aimed at younger riders and forgot to give older riders who couldn't give a shit about the US freestyle scene or the difficulty of quad corks, for example, a way in or a reason to continue. So I just found it massively instructive to hear that this was something that affected a thoughtful professional like Nicholas Vulcan as well. And in the end, that's the importance of Karua and why I make the bold claims that I do about Nicholas's influence. Because the Karua story is about how a group of thoughtful, creative visionaries overcame their own budgetary restrictions to craft a new relatable image of snowboarding. And like I said earlier, set the snowboarding agenda in the process. Don't believe me? Well, have a look now how many brands have all got their own carving ranges. And the even better thing is, as Nicholas himself points out, They've not even really done anything that innovative. The The boards that we were riding the other day are pretty much, as he said, like some of the original designs from back in the day, really. So the, old, the whole thing has just come full circle. But there's just something really lovely and a real synchronicity to that that I certainly enjoy. And I'm pretty sure Nicholas does too. So yeah, thoughtful episode this one. Had a great time with Nicholas. He's a top fella. And uh, yeah, great company. And yeah, hope you enjoy this episode. So here it is, me and Nicholas. Um, It is solved by turning. See you at the end. Right, we're rolling. Okay. How's the legs? The legs? Well, I mean, after today. Doing, yeah, they're tired. They're not in shape like they used to be, but... It was, it was better. a pretty tiring day, wasn't it, in the yeah, end? Yeah, I was kind of, um, when the guide said, like, oh, 500 meters, I was a bit like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it, felt, it felt kind of more of a mission than yeah. that, didn't it? Yeah, the run down felt longer, too. Yeah, yeah, it was good, though. That was my first proper day, really, of the season. So, yeah, it was good to, good to stretch the legs, really. Good way to get back. Starting. Yeah. So, wh- where were we? Kutai, right? Do you know Kutai. that area quite well? Ah, I used to be there, but um, more for building jumps and stuff back in the days. When back I was in the day. Still living in Innsbruck, studying here. And yeah. 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 And are you still in Innsbruck now? No, I, I moved back to Coor. I live kind of oh, close to where I grew up. Okay, yeah. Yeah. right. That's where you were brought up in that, that part of Switzerland. Yeah, in Grabunden. I, I grew up like in a small mountain town towards Davos, Klosters. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a really small little town, but... The ski area close by and the, the the last the longest slope ends up like my my hometown okay what yeah. was your what was your hometown then Kriblis, okay it's called yeah so you were what on skis from when you were like to kind of that yeah. that's that sort of upbringing my dad used to work up on the mountain he used to do like ski service and stuff so i'd i'd go up with him and he'd sleep up on the mountain and have like his ski service station there and um, yeah, he'd take me up and I'd spend a day in ski school from like three years old. Uh, that's when I started. And then when I got nine, that's actually where I saw my first snowboard. Okay. Was in that workshop. They had like an old 
snowfish hanging up there. Right. How old are you? I am 35 now. Oh, okay. So yeah. you, so snowboarding was, what, what, you try to place the year. What year would this be then? Oh, Just try to that? position it in like the popularity of snowboarding. You know what I mean? Cause I guess, I guess you kind of what, like mid nineties, early to mid nineties. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, okay. So you, and, and was that when you saw the snowboard and were like, I want to try that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it just looked. I don't think I've ever seen a, a snowboarder. At oh, really? That time. Or maybe, I, th- I think there was one guy that uh, from the ski school that used to snowboard around. And my dad was telling me he's a really good snowboarder. And I saw this shiny blue metalized kind of looking snowboard. And it was just fascinating to me. It just looked like fun. What, okay, so why, why did you find it so fascinating? It, it just stu- stood out, kind of. Yeah. Was it was it was it quite a traditional kind of skiing upbringing and area then? Yeah, yeah. Snowboarding wasn't really a big thing in yeah. Grushtanus at that time. Yeah, sure, right. <laughs> yeah. So, so did you after that think right? I'm gonna get one and and start riding. Well, I remember begging my my dad and my mom to get get one for Christmas, and I wanted to start. Yeah. And then the f- I think the f- I got one. And I had to do both, though. I had to still keep on skiing and doing, like, we had Wednesday afternoons off. That was, like, normal. Everybody would go skiing, the yeah. whole school. And, um, yeah, so I did that for one season, and then I decided I want to only snowboard. Right. Yeah. And how how did that go down? Uh, my parents were really supportive all the way. Like, they, they always supported me and my brothers and basically whatever we wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. So what was what was the first kind of scene that you hooked up with then? Because that's always kind of the story, isn't it? You yeah. Know, you, you you have your little hometown, and then you sort of see the wider thing, and you meet people, and then yeah. I think my mom was worried. There was a, a few younger kids. Then eventually, that I started off with hard boots, and uh, I remember wanting to change the soft boots because that looked pretty cool too. And I think my mom didn't want me to because uh, there was a bunch of kids like smoking weed and stuff. And She's like, you're going to be, think, it's a gateway. Yeah. Gateway drug. Yeah. Soft she boots. didn't want me <laughs> to end up with that crowd. Yeah. Um, so I stuck to my hard boots and I got interested in racing. I wanted to race. This explains why you can turn so well, right? Yeah. I did, I did spend a lot of time um, working on my turn. That's yeah. for sure. That's really interesting because yeah. Jeremy Jones has got a similar thing, hasn't he? Yeah, he's, he, he was he, a racer. He as was well. a hard. He wore hard boots a yeah. lot early on, didn't he? And yeah. I've heard him talk about. Obviously, it's just technique, right? It's just pure technique. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of the good. I mean, Craig Kelly was a good racer as well. Sure. Yeah. 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 And you were wearing hard boots today, right? Yeah, I um, I started using them for splitboarding. Yeah. For like a bit longer tours, and I really, I really like them. Like the dinner fit setup and. Yeah. We're what what do they give you then that that, that soft boots don't when you it's you're just out? way easier to walk up yeah they're way easier to handle on a mountain you can kick your steps if you're going steeper yeah feel more safe and you can make them just as soft as your soft boots so. yeah yeah they look they look super comfy actually yeah yeah you can yeah. flex them you can bone with them yeah it's you, you have to modify them a bit yeah but it's not a big thing to do yeah and i just like trying new stuff I really do like to experiment around. Um, that's a lot what we do with crew as well. We yeah. f- think about ideas, crazy ideas, and then we follow up on certain ones. And yeah, yeah, we should we should get to that in a, in a bit because obviously that's a huge part of the of the story. Mm-hmm. But w- when when you 
so you got your, your soft boots and then did you did you have the kind of like kind of classic shredder upbringing started doing contests started traveling started meeting meeting well i a big change happened for me i was i was really into racing and um i was training a lot and then i eventually i went to the sports school in davos okay and that's when i um got to know marcus keller and and a bunch of those kids up there and uh, we became really good friends and they actually uh i was allowed to go on a certain camps they were going to like freestyle camps even though i was a racer yeah and they were just so much fun we had a blast of course yeah and I, the whole racing scene was back then the first races i did was also under isf so it was a bit more yeah a bit more pure snowboarding yeah this would be just on the coffee's arrived amazing thank you thank um the, so this is probably like the cusp of like when things started to change right it's, that must be like the last almost like the last couple of years you could do isf right yeah yeah right yeah, that that was just the end of it kind of it i i i really liked liked what i saw back then like martin friend Ademitz with his monkey suit um, legend yeah yeah and um Awesome. That looks good. That's, that looks like what we need after today. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, what a big character he was as well, right? You kind of forget like what a what a big name like he was, and like you know, the profile that some of the racers had back in those days, right? Yeah, yeah. And then with with the fist taking over, it really it really became kind of boring and more like a, a real sport. It wasn't like a lifestyle anymore. And yeah. Yeah, it was pretty strict, straight on, a lot of training. And I, I kind of got burnt out a bit on that. And the other option um, with uh, hanging out with my friends and doing fun trips around. And obviously there was a bit more partying and fun going on. Yeah, um, That was really what what kind of drew, drew me to, to freestyle snowboarding. And I, I didn't really have the goal to to start a freestyle career or anything i just loved snowboarding i was always free riding also at the time when i was racing in my free time i used to go and look for powder yeah my home resort but then um i kind of got i was riding with a lot with really good people so i, I think i got i, I really th to thank them that i i learned a lot and i had got the chance to like film for for different movie productions and kind of went from there yeah i mean yeah. again like that's kind of a heyday period for that right i guess if you're talking like late 90s kind of early 2000s that was kind of the the sort of the path in a way right like to do those film parts and yeah that, that scene you know yeah. again yeah. like a kind of interesting because your career is almost or well, your time in snowboarding even kind of like takes a lot of different changes right yeah i, I kind of did a lot of things and and a lot of different aspects of snowboarding and i never really um did like exceptionally well in any anything i was there and it was fun and i was in it for the for the experience but i, I was never like really good in competition i was like never really good in filming crazy video parts um and I was always like in, in smaller video productions, which was, was just a great time to be in and, and being able to travel the world, seeing a lot of the, these places, especially with True Color Films. We did a lot with a lot of Vogel. Yeah. That was a great time. We got to go 
uh, cat skiing and seeing. We went to Alaska and camped on the glacier Amazing. and hiked lines there. And that was really a dream come true for me. Yeah, yeah. growing up seeing it. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, and then were you also, who, who were you kind of riding with around that time? Like who were, who were the main people that you... Um, Lisa Fieldswater was on the, yeah, yeah. the crew all the time. Yeah. And um, Arlene Bock, I rode with her a bunch, with René Schneller. Um, yeah, Alvaro was riding as well. He was riding and producing. He was uh, throwing the whole the whole story there. Um, Stefan, of course, I yeah. was riding a lot with him. Um, DBK, Christian Haller. Um, yeah, a bunch of the Swiss Swiss guys. Yeah. And yeah, I, I did in the beginning. I also did some stuff with Marcus Keller. Um, yeah. And what do you remember about those times? Like, what do, what are the what are the good the good things that stand out? Yeah, the the, exper- the trip experiences were was really like going with a bunch of friends and having an amazing experience, doing experiencing great snow, great conditions. Sometimes it was hard, but it was always kind of an adventure, and you never really knew what's gonna happen. Yeah, and being out on a mission and seeing the the finished product, the the movies coming out, and yeah, yeah. And so you said something earlier that was interesting that, you know, you tried a lot of different things and like had a lot of different experiences. Was all this kind of adding to the idea of what snowboarding meant to you? Did, did that change as this went on? Like your relationship to snowboarding and what you... I feel like it constantly changed. Like there was always something new but that's the nice thing about snowboarding there's so many uh, different aspects to it and different forms of it and details and and i, I kind of just followed my interest and whatever felt best at the moment and yeah that that made me end up where i am now i guess yeah and was yeah. this kind of one of the inspirations behind when you guys had the idea for career then yeah it it absolutely was because i was kind of realizing that th- that was at the time when all the kids were like starting to do crazy tricks and i was realizing yeah, i'm i'm getting older <laughs> i'm having a hard time learning new tricks and, yeah and i was realizing like yeah it might be this might be over soon and and i really also at times had had a bit of struggle to identify with snowboarding as being such a young sport and about yeah. young people and I was getting older and yeah we talked about this earlier didn't we when we were up the hill yeah. and also it's a theme that's come up quite a lot in this in this show actually I talked to Todd Richards back in maybe October mm-hmm. and he he was kind of saying the same thing and, and you you were telling the story about how you had friends almost that kind of like got to a point and then kind of stopped snowboarding or didn't have a a reason to keep snowboarding almost because of the way it's like marketed and so youthful and like you're saying the story's mm-hmm. like progression and yeah it, it seemed almost to kind of go down a little bit of a dead end at that point yeah yeah and and so so you were you consciously thinking there's a there's something new we could do or how, how did it come about because it's interesting isn't it because today obviously you're even earlier one of our friends is going like how does it feel to have like saved snowboarding with career? You know what I mean? But like y- yeah. y- the, the, the idea, what you were saying was you were inspired by just trying to find a different way of snowboarding, right? And, and, and a different yeah. way it could be maybe. Yeah. I, it was, uh, we did a trip to Japan 
and um, that's a f I've, I've seen um, different shaped snowboards before. I mean, Mu was riding the fish. I met, met he had the, that section, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I met the, the Finnish uh, Gentem guys, yeah, on a random trip, an MBM session back in the day. And but it wasn't until we did this trip to Japan and and where I really saw that. Uh, this was really a whole scene developing a new uh, new uh, approach to snowboarding for me um, and it was really impressing also seeing them focusing on the turn so much yeah and I always liked turns and and it was always fun I enjoyed carving but with the with the boards I was riding it it wasn't really that that yeah, much the, fun well, the, the boards were all again as well as like the boards were kind of one-dimensional as well in a lot of ways, weren't they? Yeah, I think they they were just too narrow. Yeah. So th you could carve to a certain point and then you would just boot out. Yeah. And I think that's one of the big changes w with the boards you see more today is that they're they're wider and you can actually really carve like you, you used to be able with a race board, but with a, a stance that feels kind of more stable. So who, who were the pioneers in japan then i think i think what i've i've heard is that i think moss was the first mm -hmm. i think they were the first to kind of start special shapes and um from what i know taro tamai who the, the founder of gentem stick he was actually working for moss and then at some point he decided to do his own brand and thing and and i think he was the one who really started to inspire people to yeah, kind of show them a different way of snowboarding and and that really... By the time I was there, there was a bunch of brands. There was like Field Earth and um, what else was there? Um, TJ brand yeah. and, and a bunch of, of brands. And we were hang, hanging out with the Cardangi guys. I was about to ask you as well, because it's all connected as well, isn't it? Yeah. And we those were, guys are just living in the vans, right? And Yeah, they were living in the vans and we really liked that movie. We actually got to know them through David's movie... Um, what was it? Um, short in short. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He had the section of the Cardangi crew, and um, before we went to Japan, I I asked David if he if he had some contacts or he knew places to go, and he was like, "You should call this guy Neil. He's a great great dude." And yeah, yeah. We've been friends ever since. Um, I'm actually gonna see him see him next week. Cause you're off next week, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's an amazing little capsule, isn't it? And like you say like really out on its own at the time right like really now ahead of the curve really in a lot of ways but people just inspired by a really c kind of pure love of snowboarding right and yeah 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 so you're inspired by that yeah i was really inspired by it and i, I really felt like this was right up my alley and yeah and something i'd really enjoyed doing i was super interested in in it too you know how would these different boards ride and what's the approach and just the thought of it looking at it as 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 more as surfing than rather than skateboarding or snowboarding yeah. uh, skateboarding where it's about tricks and stuff and sure. more concentrating on turns and it was that that was a, an okay thing to do like just doing turns before yeah, well, that i had always had the feeling like i have to do a trick or yeah, not well, a it's, snowboarder it's so obvious isn't it and i think it's it's really linked to yeah, how you for me anyway very personally like how your relationship changes with snowboarding as you get older and basically you understand that it's just about what you enjoy really yeah and yeah. And, and but when you're younger there's there is quite a lot of, you know it's fun but there is kind of a, an idea that there's a way of doing it yeah and i think it's that time of life where where you're kind of out 
to to prove yourself or to prove yeah. your mates or, or to see how far you can go and at a certain point like yeah that's probably when I was was there that I realized yeah it's probably not gonna go much further in that direction so yeah what what else is there so did was that the did you have it as like a real tangible idea then that you thought ah we could do a brand and uh, based around this or was it more no. you just thought it was a way of exploring what snowboarding could well, be for you personally I was kind of developing um, or helping develop uh, snowboards for my previous sponsor back then. So in the, after that trip, we did, we did try and build like a, a more powder snowboard, more carving, a bit wider, kind of more longer spoony nose. And uh, after we did that, I was really like pushing, pushing those guys, hey, let's do some more boards and stuff. And would be way cool and, and that brand had really trouble um kind of positioning themselves in, in the market or, or finding yeah it was difficult so I also once dropped the, the idea of like doing a, a a separate brand just with special shapes kind of um and then it like uh i think the next summer or something i got a phone call and uh jerry who's also part of Karua now said hey he has an opportunity to to build we have an opportunity to start a brand and uh what what should it look like what should it be like um, oh wow so how did what wh where did that come from then as well, in there was people that wanted to invest or yeah because this is one of the things i was really interested in you know like, how do you do it <laughs> you know yeah, like we, if a few guys decide they're going to set up a brand yeah well jerry had this connection to to this guy who um wanted to kind of invest into a, a snowboard brand which surprised us at that time yeah, point right. in time like who would invest in snowboarding <laughs> yeah i can't i quite want to burn my money like <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i really felt like that but yeah but we we immediately i um mu had just ended his um relationship with his previous sponsor so and and we've been talking a lot about snowboarding and and i i knew he had kind of the same idea yeah that's the, another thing i was going to ask you you can tell that you it's the whole project for you guys seems to have been this expression, you know, even from yeah. like we say earlier, like he had a, a different way of riding from his previous sponsor, like all along really he kind of stood out yeah. a bit, didn't he? Yeah. You know, he always did his own thing. And he, was he, he always just was on his own program, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. So that must have been really gratifying for you guys to be like, all right, here's a project that we can actually pour ourselves into and kind of express ourselves in the, in the widest way. Right. Yeah, and it just it just happened naturally. We just had so many ideas, and and yeah, it it just started to go crazy. We wrote, we were brainstorming a lot. We also included the other friends, um, asked them about their opinion and about everything. We really, the whole brand was already there um, before it existed, just in our heads and 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 on paper as far as possible. So did you? You said previous earlier that you you know you'd like to tinker you like to experiment is that was that something you did with the actual designs as well and did you have oh yeah did you had but did you have the ideas originally had you been thinking about this for a while like you know because obviously the shapes are so unique and and that's one of the things that crew is known for was that something that you'd been thinking you know yeah. like almost like thinking to yourself like well how can we make this easier and better like what how can we basically translate this into snowboards yeah we definitely wanted to, to kind of not just 
go for the performance kind of thing, but but try to offer different experiences on a board. Like how would a board ride that's got totally positive side side cut? And we nearly died trying that. (laughs) (laughs) It was really sketchy. And yeah, those boards took a bit longer. And then there was other boards that that we got to work really fast. And that's another thing, you know, Jerry. Um, he's been doing building snowboards since '83, and has been developing snowboards uh, for a lot of different companies. So he's kind of a dinosaur in this industry. Yeah. And he's been working a lot in the alpine racing segment, and that's that's where people are really kind of testing around and improving and and trying a lot of things whereas where i think as the regular snowboard industry was kind of sleeping a bit yeah and not it was more about the graphic and the style and the image and not specifically about how the board would actually ride and also like how the board would ride for ordinary snowboarders right yeah which is the point yeah the point of like how can you make the I think this is why the whole thing's taken off so much as all right, because it's, it is just about like improving the experience for everyday riders, right? Yeah, yeah. It's really focused on what m- most people do most is go up the mountain. Cruise do, around. Do turns on the slopes. And if there's powder, do runs in powder. And yeah. yeah. Do what we did today, yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's snowboarding for most people, really, isn't it? Yeah, and that's... Uh, was also part of the concept we really didn't want to i mean on one part we didn't have the that much budget to have like the some super pros come in or whatever so we basically took our best friends um yeah well that was all fully formed right as well like the films and yeah and and the guys that you used right and i think that also was one of those things that made it very relatable people could see these guys they're good snowboarders but they're not pros or yeah or like uh, yeah out of this world good yeah i think it was a real sort of relief for people uh, in in, in a lot of ways yeah the whole thing because it it was just like all right that you can just do that (laughs) yeah yeah and and that's look how fun that looks and like you say the word is relatable isn't it look how and now that you said that word relief that brought me back to that first time i I really experienced this way a new way of snowboarding being a relief um i really struggled to identify and 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 i really felt like i spent so much time of my life trying to become uh, a good snowboarder and 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 fulfilling this image i had was a snowboarder was and i realized like I'm losing it again. Like, what am I now? Or, or yeah, that, I don't think that was the struggle to identify with it. And, and that's really felt like a big relief seeing there is something I can just do turns and it's okay. And yeah, it I doesn't th- matter. Yeah. No one yeah. cares. And now actually it's more fun. And yeah, like we say, it comes back down to what you actually just enjoy. Mm. What the, the kind of constraints that you had with the brand though, because obviously you didn't have a lot of money, you know, you turned to a big advantage in a way, really, because the marketing that you did do was like super effective, you know. Yeah. And was that was that a conscious decision as well? Did you, or was it more a bit of a kind of happy accident that those edits took off so so hugely? I mean, we were really lucky that that was right at the time. We we are all good friends with Christoph Weber. Yeah. 
and he's been in the drone business uh, really early on. So we got to, to film with a gimbal with him for the for the very first movie actually we did. And we realized that that really captures snowboarding way better than than, than a steady shot. Yeah, of course. And and then the next years, the GoPros got better, the gimbals got more available, so we kept on filming with that, and that just gave a total different look f for the movie. And I think that made it made it a lot much more appealing. Yeah. And the way that you film with the gimbal, there's usually just shorter sections that work, so we just cut the best stuff together. We went out filming, and we had a lot of fun doing it. It was way more fun than, than getting ready, waiting until the film was ready, then yeah. dropping, yeah, yeah, riding yeah. three turns, and then hiking back up. Again, so. the old school way yeah, yeah. Of, of portraying snowboarding, right? Yeah. And in, and in a way, again, an unobtainable way of portraying snowboarding, because if you think back to like we talked about earlier, old videos, magazines, those shots, that they were about an image mm. that conformed to this ideal of snowboarding that was unattainable really to yeah, most people you know? absolutely so like the, what you describe different different approach different take yeah when you put it like that you can see why people did relate to it so much and mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting i didn't know that about christoph so you've worked with him since the, the beginning of it then on these projects yeah i think i think we started working with him with true colors a bit yeah yeah, yeah we did and I knew him, I got to know him through living here in Innsbruck. Um, and uh, yeah, he was always willing to help. And he's always, he has such great ideas. He's super creative and always yeah. experimenting around with new camera gears and setups and angles. And Yeah, well, he's a very creative dude, isn't he? Yeah, he yeah. played a big part also in the, the whole robot, robot foot movies. Yeah, he's a bit of an unsung hero of that story, really, isn't he? Uh -huh, you uh -huh. know? So when you look at career today, how how do you feel about it? Are you are you are you happy with the with where the brands are? are you, with the boards? Are you do you see? Mainly, I'm just surprised that this actually something came out of it. Really? Yeah, it was just like a fun kind of project. We thought like, well, wherever it goes, it's going to be fun along the way, and and we were really surprised that it actually that we're still here and that it's worked out and that the the reaction of the people were so so amazing we were kind of thinking to be like a very niche core brand i mean we still are a bit but it's it's opened up way more than we thought it would yeah i think it it was the right idea at the right time wasn't it yeah for like we say it people that listen to this a lot hear me talk about this a lot on on this show but yeah like as the sport developed and people got older and there was a need for it you know like we were talking about earlier at a certain point in snowboarding's kind of progression as a sport or a, a lifestyle or whatever you did lack ways in didn't you sometimes you know you could if you're a certain age if you're older it could be difficult to f find your place almost mm -hmm. and this movement if you like gives people that doesn't it yeah and then the influence as well because obviously everybody's doing it now like all the brands are doing it and you know all the brands have got carving boards and the range don't they and mm. there's a lot of you know representations of snowboarding in films that are much much more along these lines and it's it's basically got much more diverse 
and inclusive, I think. Yeah, and but the funny thing is, like, we've gone full circle because that's kind of where it started off, yeah, right? Turn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, turn Yeah. So, like, all the shapes, I think it's all been done before. Like, the very first snowboards looked so much like, like, like what we're riding now. Yeah, yeah, like the cafe racer. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So it feels kind of... I don't want to say it's all new and stuff. I think yeah. we, we, we kind of managed to get it into the limelight again or, or kind of the fo- change the focus a bit. Yeah. But I don't think we really created anything new in that sense. Yeah, but for a new generation to discover it maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So what have you, have you made a board that you're completely happy with? Um, I like all of them. I like the whole trying different boards and experiencing different stuff and... I'm not really like, I do have some boards I ride more though than others. I kind of, I kind of tend to like the, the pointy noses uh, better. Yeah. I, I'm not sure why, but I just, uh, it's probably just uh, something more appealing to my yeah. eye now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and with the, with the edits you're doing like what, a couple of, couple of seasons now? Is that right? Are you, do, do you have any, you just kind of put those together as they unfold? As the as the years go on, yeah, we <laughs> we usually try and make kind of a plan and stuff, and but as you know, in snowboarding, you have to kind of work with the weather and yeah. the snow conditions sure. and whatever trips you're doing. So we usually have to go to Japan for that one trade show, and that's why we've always had a Japan edit in the last years. Yeah, um, because it just makes sense to go riding there as well while we're there. Um, we have a few new things planned for, for next season. Um, we want to m- kind of build it out and add on to it and see where it, we can kind of improve and okay. yeah, keep it interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. That's for sure. The other thing about the brand as well is it, it the identity was really strong from the start. You know, like the, the kind of color, two colors, like, you know. Um, mm. Was that all you guys? Did you work with anybody on that or...? It just came with writing and brainstorming on that concept and talking to our friends. We really were thinking and discussing, like in a in a group, what would be the snowboard we would all kind of think was was cool and we liked. And I remember Stefan uh, saying that um, he liked from his previous sponsors. He used to have prototypes as well, and they were like only one colored, and that people always were asking him, and they liked it and. Yeah, and I think that's where it kind of came from. And then we were thinking about talking about the base color and and discussing. And then red came up, and everybody's like, "Well, red, red's actually a pretty smart move." And yeah, and yeah, it was super strong. I think it really stood out yeah. at the time. And it just came about. And then we were thinking, "Yeah, but what are we going to do next year?" And well, why don't we just keep them that way? Yeah. And, and then we realized, that, okay, it's also it's not just. Um, makes it easier we don't have to do we were only three guys in the beginning so there was a lot of work and wherever we could kind of skip something or something wasn't very extremely necessary we'd leave it out for example the the redesign every year yeah and that actually we realized was good for for like having stocks less stock in the end of the season and also it's good because people don't feel like they need a new snowboard next year even if it's if it's still good you yeah. feel like you have a new a Karua snowboard and 
I think that's kind of a, a, a nice, I like that aspect of it. Yeah, I think so. It's not just a one year kind of throwaway well, thing. Well, again, that was like the cycle, wasn't it? You know, the whole industry was geared towards like every year, you know, new films, new boards, new range, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and it always seemed quite unsustainable, you know. Yeah, it was uh, quite a bit of an overkill, I think. For yeah. And kind of, un- like you say, unnecessary, really. Mm-hmm. So, where'd you get them made? Um, we started off making it at GST in uh, Germany. That uh, was a factory we've been working with before. And then they they decided to quit business. And um, we were forced to kind of look for something new. And uh, we looked around and there was possibilities like uh, Tunisia and, and Dubai. And, but we decided to do, do it somewhere as close as possible. And... Um, yeah, we decided to go to Nobile in Poland. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I didn't know that. And it's been working well. Yeah, it's been working great. Yeah. Yeah. The other question I should ask as well is the name. Like, where'd the name come from? It was actually um, kind of obvious a f- one, but a fantasy name. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. Um, S- Stefan was doing Clast before, and it was actually one of the uh, one of the names they had thought about for for it, and they decided decided to not call it Karua, so that was still there. But we obviously, we went around, I think we went around over like 50, 60 names and what, stuff. What was an early early contender? Can you oh, remember? We had all kinds of stuff. <laughs> it's hard though, right? I mean, I think we wanted to call it Shapes for a while or, or uh, Infinity Shapes or all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And But it all kind of had some, some twist. And then we decided like... Karua was like um, standalone. There's no ties to it. Sounds like a like a nice island somewhere in the ocean. Yeah, that, I assumed it came from there. Really, like that, yeah, that, it kind of suggests that, doesn't it? You know, um, yeah, it was really just a fantasy name, and we we checked up after and we found out in Maori it means you, the people. I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. Just a coincidence. Yeah, and it's a good one. Jerry claims. Um, it me it's it's uh, actually um, Bavarian, Koarua, right? Which means no rest, <laughs> right? <laughs> because he's he's uh, has a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's running a small business for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, the other thing we're we're going to see later is your your film that you've been mm-hmm. working on, Close to Home. Yeah. Um. Wh- so you were telling me that originally that was going to be quite a quick project, but then you very quickly suffered to pretty full-on injuries right like one after the other yeah probably one of the, the my worst injuries i had so far in my career i've always thought like i'm i'm just doing turns i won't get injured anymore but yeah. <laughs> i've i've got sustained more injuries doing that than than when i was still jumping around and yeah so what you do yeah, achilles and yeah i tore my achilles filming for for one of the yearning for turning movies in the pipe I was doing like alley-oop carves yeah. and all of a sudden I thought my binding snapped or broke, but it was actually my, my Achilles. Really? Yeah. And then, uh, I was <clears throat> working, I'm, I studied uh, psychology and I'm doing, um, I'm becoming a psychotherapist. So when I had the injury, I decided to focus more on that during the summer because I obviously wasn't doing any sport. Yeah, I see because it's a really full on injury, isn't it? That yeah, like the takes, rehabs, like because they basically sort of 
operate right and then it's yeah. just to try and get the movement back is very very difficult isn't it well it just takes a long time right yeah and it's painful you're always walking around and it always hurts it's just uh yeah i've got a few misery. friends that are going through it at the minute and it doesn't look fun yeah yeah but you had that focus to to put your energy into then yeah I'd, i i kind of switched my focus a bit and something else so i i could kind of invest that time wisely yeah and um but i probably didn't do enough physio or build up so i started snowboarding again and january 13th i went out on a split mission in in uh, the dolomites and i dislocated my kneecap probably because my my muscles weren't ready yet or built up from the injury so it's almost like a kind of compensation thing and puts pressure on on your knee yeah i think those main muscles on your thigh they kind of stabilize the kneecap and if they're not quite there yet and long day split boarding and two turns on the slope and it just went bang and ow i was crying like a baby that sounds really painful (laughs) it's the most painful injury i've ever had yeah i've broken my back i've broken my hand i've done all kinds of stuff yeah that by far was the most pain ever yeah and also probably like what the fuck's going on right you know because it's not it's quite an unusual injury yeah my foot was looking in a weird direction i really thought i've kind of just blown up my knee right um and presumably you weren't anywhere that easy to get down no no i had to they eventually they got me with the helicopter right because they couldn't get me on the sled or whatever i don't know yeah so how long was that then uh, that took until beginning of this season. Basically, I started walking and hiking and climbing again this summer. How do you keep your positivity in the face of two injuries like that? Because that's mm. two seasons out then, right? Basically, yeah. yeah, that was that was kind of tough. Especially, I I knew I had this project that I needed to finish, and there there was a lot of people involved and people waiting for it, and that was that was kind of the hardest thing about it. But I was able to shift my focus on 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 my work as a as a therapist yeah and that was kind of a, a good thing i think it's good to have projects or uh, things aside from Away snowboarding from yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you have a few of those then like things that you try and do or no that's actually the main one like yeah. i was always studying during my career and in in kind of in that field yeah okay yeah i did study in innsbruck I started, started studying sport and then I realized I wasn't really interested in sports. Uh, I, I like doing sports, but I'm not interested in the theory, all the biomechanics yeah. or training plans or whatever. So I, I tried psychology and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Mm. So where are you with that now then? Are you practicing? Yeah, I work in a, in a psychiatry. Well, I have been this summer. I quit now for winter to have more time for Karua. But um, yeah, I was seeing like six to eight patients a day. Wow. And yeah, it was really a, a super interesting, a lot of learning, um, a lot of difficult situations, a sure. lot of nice situations. It's it's a good yeah. balance that you've got though. It, it's a lot of work though. Yeah, uh, sure. I was mind, worried. Mind and body. Yeah, and just always having something going. Do you, do you enjoy it? Like that kind of relentlessness you know being that busy uh yeah there is one part that i enjoy and then there's also if it gets it there it's a small kind of doesn't need much and it's too much and that's yeah. that's when it yeah you have to be careful can I, you recognize that can you recognize those kind of because that's difficult isn't it right when you 
you you sort of you sound like somebody that like has projects and does does things and takes mm. on um i don't know i've tried to get better personally at, uh, going okay but we need to just maybe step back a little bit and you know calm down relax stop pushing so hard but it's not easy to do that no it's hard to say no if you have a lot of interesting things going on in your life it's it's hard to say no and the it was weird sometimes i also was treating patients with like burnouts and they were kind of telling or uh, expressing like the situations that I've seen myself in as well. And, and, right, that you can of, recognize. and that really makes you think like, Oh, I better be careful or I'll end up. Yeah. Yeah. Depressed or whatever. And, but, um, yeah, that's for sure. I have my, my eye on that. Do you, have, do you see a relationship between the physical outdoor adventure whatever you want to call it, snowboarding activity that you do and, and the other work that you, you see any connections or patterns? Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in, in that actually, like the, the relations we have to nature and, and what, what we gain from being outside in nature and, and the, the, the kind of healing effects it has. I mean, we all know, or I, I think we, every, all of us experience that we go out, we come back and we feel just so much better. Yeah. And I talked to a lot of colleagues working in the clinic and they actually prescribe to patients to, to go out for walks, get sunlight, because it works like an antidepressant. The more you go out, the less medication you need as a patient. Yeah. And um, I also started going out and with certain patients to do like walks and like wa- talking while we're walking around. Yeah. And I, I really had some positive um experiences with that and there must be something in it though because i think it does have a real physiological effect doesn't it like and psychological effects even just the like you say the act of forward movement walking like whatever it is like just changing changing your using physical even the simplest physical activity to change your mindset like it, yeah. it, it's definitely effective isn't it especially if you're depressed i mean it's you're actually moving forward it's a very symbolic as yeah, well right exactly um, you experience new new things. You concentrate on on, on sense. You're and and all these things that kind of get lost if you're if you're in the tunnel of depression. Yeah, just a bit of forward movement, just to keep you, yeah, take yeah. you to a different place. Yeah, yeah. There's a. I sound like a real dick now, but there's um, there's a, a Greek phrase. It is solved by walking. Yeah, which yeah. you know I, I always really liked because. I, th- I also find if I've got like a, even like a work block or something or, you know, it will help. I feel like there's a certain order in nature, like um, a balance that, that you can draw off of that, that when you go out there, you kind of experience it and makes, makes you find solutions easier or yeah. whatever. That, that would be my hypothesis. Yeah. Yeah. Or experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, today, simple, simple day, wasn't it? But yeah, everyone was pretty stoked. Yeah, that was <laughs> at the end fun. Of the day. Yeah, yeah. So how the how are the injuries now then? Are you because it's you feeling strong? Are you feeling like back to normal almost? Or with my knee, you think? Yeah, yeah. I feel I'm still I still have kind of flashbacks from that accident. It was really was a horrible experience. It pops back into my mind, but when I'm riding, I can kind of 
tune out again. Yeah. And I've, I'm feeling better every day I go out and ride. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you can have first season for a while. Yeah. Any goals? Just cruise? Yeah. Ride a lot of powder, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good goal. Yeah. Yeah. Are yeah. you pleased with the film? Yeah, I am in a way. Uh, we, it didn't turn out exactly like I wanted to, but it, the good thing about it is it left some doors open for for uh, the next project. I want to kind of keep this this uh, going and yeah. Yeah. What was the original idea? Close to home. Was it that simple to just kind of showcase the what you do around here? Yeah. In, in this part of the Alps. It was mainly I, I I was traveling a lot yeah. in the last years and and I kind of realized I was missing out a bit on on being out with friends and being close to my my wife and and my family and and um, yeah I realized through traveling I had a lot of comparison I realized I actually do live in a great place I mean I live in the yeah. Swiss Alps uh, it doesn't get much better than that and why why would you travel so much so I really was motivated to do this project close to my home yeah and um, make it easy have fun on the mountains stay in a mountain hut basically my dream holiday take some friends up in that into that hut and just spend some time there split boarding enjoying ourselves and being creative yeah and then with the injuries obviously it, we didn't get the, all the shots we wanted to do we, we weren't able to tell the all the stories we wanted to wanted to yeah but um, it's done, and and hopefully there there'll be a next one. Yeah. Do you have yeah. any ideas for that? Yeah, I do already. But I'm gonna keep them close. Still. Yeah. Still figure them out. Yeah, yeah. One of one of um, my friends had a question for you. What's the best turn you've ever made? The best turn I've ever made. <laughs> a, oh. I kind of said it say because it's just funny. It's like, what uh. was the la- what was the last one you really remember? The one we did today was nice. Oh, the bird. I enjoyed that one, yeah. Yeah, you you uh, flushed a bird out of a tree, didn't you? Yeah. That was a really lovely little moment, that, though. Yeah. Because I was down below and it was, yeah, hopefully there's a shot of that. I really like the, it's not a spe- one specific turn, but I really like to kind of come up on my toe edge and, and, and do turns in banks. Yep. And, and, and slash the snow and then that feeling when you're kind of the snow is kind of falling over your head as if you're in a in a, in a tube surfing yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and you kind of die through that through that cloud and, and it just you get right under the lip kind of that's those are my favorite ones yeah do that's you surf it. as well I try to I grew up in the mountains so I suck yeah but I've been surfing for a long time but I'm not really good at it's it it's hard yeah yeah do, you, do, do the two have a relationship the way that you turn on a surfboard and the way that you turn on a snowboard do you connect yeah them? for sure i mean you're standing on one board and and that's where it came from right the but for you i mean do you, do you do you do you learn things from one that you can take to the other no it's more like um i imagine myself surfing and what what it, what it would feel like and kind of yeah, that gives me a good feel. At least I can imagine myself being a good surfer. That's yeah. the fun of it. I kind of, I've said this before on here as well, but I just like to make one good turn on a surfboard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In the way that you can on a snowboard. Yeah. Because you can have, you can do a run like we did today on a snowboard and you can just have so many nice turns, can't you, where it just feels great and, you know, snow's going everywhere and it's just, it's amazing, right? Yeah. Um, never done, Never had a turn like that on a surfboard. I'm always like really aware of like 
hacky, like horrible, you know. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, be be nice though. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I'll get to get, get surf a bit more in the future. Yeah. Hey man, that was great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for doing it, and thanks for today, and thanks to the board. I've been wanting to try one of your boards for a long time, and yeah, it's great. Thanks for that. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. All right so there you go that was my interview with nicholas vulcan really fun trip that one and i've got to thank my friends yellen mull and hannah bailey from patagonia for the good times and nicholas mitch tolder and all the rest for the great day up the hill now later the day after we had the conversation i watched close to home at the patagonia premier in innsbruck and yeah it's really great i really think you should check it out it's as you might have gathered from listening to that conversation with nicholas a really unique individual vision of what snowboarding can be and there's an innocence to it that i really liked I should also say that the filming by Christoph Weber, which Nicholas referred to during our conversation, is really genuinely brilliant and captures something of the joy of riding in a in a very uh, appealing way. Anyway, it's on YouTube. Go and have a gander. So housekeeping corner time. And as I mentioned at the top, I just got back from a week in Innsbruck and Munich, which was fun but hectic as it always is. I was there for ISPO. Um, and I also hosted a live interview with Donna Carpenter and Kelly Clark at the Burton Munich store. Now, this thing took place in front of an invited audience of press and punters at the Burton Munich hub, I think they're calling it, but it's the store basically, and was also broadcast live on Facebook. Now, I am not a TV presenter or somebody who's got any experience of hosting anything in front of live cameras, but um, tail end of last year and this year, I was thinking about the live show question, which I've mentioned a few times. I've been asked to do a few of them. I'd like to do more of them. And uh, that was one of the goals of 2019, really. I thought, yeah, you know what? I'm going to, that's that's the plan. going to try and work out some a good format for live tra- shows, try and sort a few out. Anyway, first week of January, Burton got in touch and asked me to do this. And obviously I've had my bluff well and truly called there. So to be honest, I just thought, fuck it, I'll give it a go. I mean, there's only one way you can get better at this stuff, right? just by getting stuck right in and putting yourself right outside your comfort zone. So, uh, so that's what I did. And I've got to be honest, I enjoyed the whole experience really. I mean, as this was a Burton gig, the format was theirs. Most of the creative calls were theirs. Uh, I, I kind of took care of most of the, the, the content, you might say, although that soon went out the window as anyone who's seen it will probably have gathered. Um, but basically I learned a lot about how I would run the, these things if I was fully calling the shots. Um, and I, you know, I enjoyed doing the interview live. Interesting experience, equal parts fun and stressful. I have done live conversations in front of uh, studio audiences before. I've done presentations. Fuck, I've been a best man three times. That's that's about as that 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 was definitely more stressful than doing this. But anyway, this one was by far the biggest deal out of uh, any of the the work related stuff that I've done. And it's fair to say there were a few challenging moments during the conversation nothing in the region of George Best on Wogan a link I did get sent a few times in the aftermath of the broadcast by I'm sure well-meaning friends um but it was still enough to keep me on my toes so yeah mad one really um enjoyed it did have a few beers afterwards and uh yeah learned a lot about how I'm going to do it in the future I'm already having a good couple of interesting chats with people about um couple of possibilities there so of course I'll give you details on here when I know what the plan is elsewhere I think I mentioned this last time I was interviewed for the surf simply web website about the podcast which is good fun we got pretty into the details of how I put this whole thing together actually 
um, which was, you know, very nice that they were that interested. Big thanks to uh, the guys over there for helping me put that one together. If you want to read that, um, it's it's your old-fashioned interview, then uh, go and seek it out on your internet search engine or something like that. Um, of course, if you want to get this type of stuff right in your inbox, the easiest way of doing it is signing up to my newsletter. Each week, I send you a nice little email with the five things that week I thought were worth sharing, which usually covers a whole range of interesting action sports themed tackle and not just stuff involving me, you'll be pleased to hear. You can sign up for that at my website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. You will need to uh, uh, confirm that subscription and it might end up in your junk. So um, make sure you you follow through on that and you'll be getting the emails. Nice. All right. I think that's it for now. And I also think from this point, normal service will be resumed with the podcast because I've I've carved out a little bit of time ahead to uh, to get rid of the backlog that I've got. Like I say, Jeremy Jones dropping soon, Nicola Thost, I've got loads coming up. Um, sticking around the UK for most of February, but March and April are looking good. I'm off to Norway. I'm off to Lofoten, I believe you say, in the Arctic Circle. Very excited about that. And the, uh, unbelievably, the three-week trip around California to do a load of podcasts is happening thanks to my friends at Visit California. So I'm going to be going to San Francisco. I'm going to drive down to uh, LA via Squaw and Mammoth over a week. Going to spend some time in LA with my colleague and mate Owen Toza. And then we're going to drive to San Diego over a week. So I'm there for like three weeks basically and going like from north to south of uh, California and planning on doing a lot of podcasts. That's the point really. So you know, it's like the crack in America tour, isn't it? Like, that's what all the Brits do, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, let me know who you think I should interview because obviously there's a lot of people over there that I could interview. So uh, let's hear it. You can get me on podcast.wealllookingsideways.com or you could uh, get me on Instagram or Twitter at We Look Sideways. Um, all right, look forward to hearing from you. Nice one.